Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. This is a little bit of a, a bonus surprise Arscast out of the blue, perhaps. You weren't expecting another podcast after a two-hour Arscast Extra yesterday with James. You might think that probably I've had enough of talking about Arsenal, and that could well be true on some level. But on another level... We do have a Champions League game, a Champions League game. It's not Champions League, it's Europa League. Oh, God. When your mistakes, when your own mistakes, your own slips of the tongue bring you right back down to earth. Anyway, look, never mind. It it sounds like it could be a Champions League game, but it is a Europa League semi-final against Valencia on Thursday. So we're going to talk about that in just a moment. I just want to say, though, uh, after the Arsecast Extra, we had a load of feedback on it, and uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody who uh, who took the time to uh, to comment on what we were talking about uh, after what has been a very difficult week for Arsenal, for Unai Emery, for Arsenal fans, and for our top four chances. Given all that, there were some, some opinions, some of them stronger than others. I differed from James on certain things, which I think is absolutely fine, and many people who listened to the podcast didn't necessarily agree with some of the things in particular that I said, which is fair enough. I get it. I absolutely get it. But, you know, that's fine. That's, you know, I can only go on the podcast after a game like that, after a week like that, and be honest and tell you what I think. And there's no point in me saying things for the sake of saying them if I don't really believe them. And, you know, I have to admit that, you know, there's a measure of confusion in the way that I feel and the things that I think about what's going on at this moment in time. But for those of you who did take the time to engage, uh, primarily on Twitter, one or two emails, but uh, for the most part on Twitter. Thank you for, you know, being able to disagree without turning it into a fight or a bunch of name calling or, or stuff like that, the way that, you know, a lot of that stuff can go down these days. Um, you know, it's important that we can disagree and it's important that we can have differences of opinion. And my opinion is only my opinion. That's all it is. I'm not saying that's how anybody else should think or that's how everybody should think or anything like it. So, you know, I'm always glad to uh, to have a chat with people about everything we do 
do on the site, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a blog post or or whatever. If you want to talk about it, if you want to chat about it, critique it, whatever else, that's absolutely fine. I'm always uh, happy to do that once it, you know, remains within the boundaries, more or less, of, of manners and decency and how we might talk to each other if we met face to face, which I think is an important part of, of social media. So there. Anyway, thank you as ever uh, for being with us yesterday. Hopefully, the next Darscast Extra we do won't be as long because we can talk in more glowing terms <laughs> about what Arsenal have done on the pitch fingers crossed and usually it's just a fact of life that there is a little bit less to say and a little bit less to discuss when things go well as opposed to when they go badly that is just the nature of football and the debate and discussion that that follows it so uh yeah hopefully it'll be a bit of a shorter one and that will mean that arsenal perhaps have won a game and played well and are maybe heading towards a european final fingers crossed Speaking of uh, a European final and our past to get there, we do face Valencia on Thursday, but what kind of a team are they? What way are they going to set up? Who are their danger men? And many other questions besides uh, occurred to me, so I thought that's why we should talk to somebody who knows. From Spain, journalist Dermot Corrigan joins us. Hi, Dermot. Hey, hey, Andrew. How's it going? Good, thank you. Um, Let's talk a bit about Valencia and what kind of a season they've had so far. They're a little bit outside the top four, not too far, but in general, what kind of a season have they had and how are they feeling coming into this game? They've had a really weird season so far. Um, they didn't win any of their first six Liga games. Then they were in a, a tough Champions League group with Man United and, and Juventus. They dropped out of that. They, they've drawn a load of games. They drew eight games. They had eight draws in 10 games through September and October. And the main problem was that they just weren't scoring any goals. Um, a couple of their, their big players, Rodrigo and Gades, were at the World Cup with Spain and Portugal. Both of them came back not fully fit and, and out of form. And it took them a long time to, to get going. So they were down, you know, almost looking at the relegation zone in in January. And there was talk of Marcelino, the coach, getting fired. But they, they came through that, pulled it together, and have been going really well over the last couple of months. The Europa League was was good for them, as it often is for, mm. for teams like Valencia, Sevilla, that type of level of Spanish team. And... So they, they did well to, to get into the semi-finals to beat Villarreal in the quarters and are challenging for the top four, but they might have just left a little bit late to, to get to the top four. Also, Copa del Rey went really well. They got through to the Copa del Rey final against yeah. Barcelona. So it could go really well for them at the end of the season or or it could end up with them winning nothing. Yeah, I mean, I think when, when Arsenal are looking at this game, they're going to really prioritise the Europa League because the the top four in entry into the Champions League is, uh, well, it's out of our hands after a really bad week. We've lost um, four of our last five league games. So, you know, that makes that, that pathway into the Champions League a little more difficult. Um, Valencia lost at the weekend, which has left them outside the top four. But when you look at the games that the other teams have to play, Valencia have got uh, Huesca, Alaves and Valladolid, two teams who are in the bottom three at the moment. Alaves is a, a bit of a different one. Getafe, who are in the top four right now, I think they play uh, Girona, Barcelona and Villarreal. And Sevilla, the other team in around there, I've got a couple of tricky games, if I remember. I think they've got Atletico Madrid and Athletic Bilbao to face as well. So it's not as if Valencia can completely and utterly put La Liga to one side. Is there any sense that this might be a little bit of a distraction for them? Or or is this seen as the the real chance of success this season because it is a trophy? I, I think, yeah, it's been a long time since Valencia won a trophy. I think it's 
2007 maybe when they won a trophy when Coleman was there right. and they've you know they finished fourth in La Liga a lot of times um, and they know they're they're not going to win the Champions League realistically you know they've had a a tough time when they get to the to, into the Champions League group stages in recent years and for their their fans a, a trophy will be great this season they don't have a huge squad so they, it's not been a case that they've been able to to rest a lot of players and they lost you know they they played at Atletico saw them at Atletico last week uh, Wednesday night I think it was and that was a great game they played really well in that they got back to 2-all and then Atletico scored in, in the last couple of minutes to win it 3-2 uh, I think against Ibar at the weekend they were just running on empty because they, they played so much recently um, and not had so many players so they they Kind of got a sucker punch at the end of the game, and Ibar scored. The Europa League will be the the focus for them, I think, especially for for the coach and for the the, the club itself. To, to to win something for for Peter Lim, the the club president, will be great to to come up against an English team. You know, you wonder sometimes how much he's really cares about La Liga itself but whenever they play um, the Champions League or specifically against English teams like United he, he shows up or, or like Arsenal I'm not sure if he's going to be there but he'll, he'll, really, he'll really want the, the, the team to do well in that and, and everybody at the club will be focusing on these, these two games for sure Yeah it's, it's quite interesting isn't it the similarities between Valencia and, and Arsenal in terms of sort of stature you know traditionally they've been one of the biggest clubs in Spain but not in the very top tier and that's kind of where Arsenal have been and again, you know, when you talk about the Champions League and how important the Champions League is from a financial point of view, we can all understand that. We can all see that. But realistically, Valencia don't have a chance of winning the Champions League. Arsenal don't have a chance of winning the Champions League. And for uh, you know, for both clubs, I guess, to win a European trophy, even though they don't want to be in the Europa League, the Europa League is their best prospect of doing that. Yeah, for sure. And you know, you could maybe throw Sevilla into that as well, where Emery was as well as a club which really focused on the, the chance of winning a trophy. And for them, winning the Europa League was huge. Like maybe Chelsea won it a couple of years ago with, with Benitez and it were almost an embarrassment. United with Mourinho as well. You know, you got the feeling that, that neither Benitez, well, especially Mourinho, wasn't too happy to be in that that <laughs> competition. But but for, you know, from my perspective or from somebody here, here in Spain, I would see the Europa League as a great chance for, for Arsenal to to do something to, to win a trophy to be on, on that stage maybe financially you don't get near as much money as as you would get for winning the Champions League but it, it should be about more than that really and to to win something you'd imagine for the players as well to, to win a European trophy would be big for them just on, on Valencia and Arsenal being kind of similar teams um, just some of the research ahead of the game looking back at their their previous meetings like mm. in the, the 1980 uh, Cup Winners Cup final is still remembered as a huge a huge uh, result for, for Valencia when they won that one and beat Arsenal in in the final, and yeah. then Ars- when back at the start of the the two thousands, when Valencia and Arsenal were both up at the top in the Champions League, they met as well, and and Valencia came out on top at, at that stage as well against Wenger's team. So they they are the Arsenal are obviously richer at the moment, like champion or the Premier League money means that they've got a lot more money than Valencia. But the the stature of the clubs, the size of, of the fan bases, maybe will be, will be very similar. Yeah, for sure. We all, I think, Arsenal fans don't need any reminding of uh, John Carew and the damage that he did to us uh, in those Champions League games. And you know, uh, they, they kind of live long in the memory a bit because we haven't played each other for for quite a while. But when you think about Arsenal and Valencia, those games really do spring to mind. There was a brilliant Ray Parler goal at Highbury as well, which uh, was w- one of the great Arsenal Champions League goals. But unfortunately, not enough. Um, 
Tell, tell me a bit about Valencia and the style of play that they they use under Marcelino. Um, when you talk about you know him him being potentially sacked earlier in the season, uh, am I right in thinking he had a two year deal when he signed? Uh, is there is there some question mark over his future still? And and how will he set up? What what way do they play? And and what are the dangers for Arsenal? Yeah, they're they're similar in in a lot of ways to Atletico Madrid. Um, Marcelino and, and Simeone would have. Similar ways of looking at the looking at the game of how they try to to control the game to control the space on the pitch. To the, their teams are always really well organised. You know they likely to play something like a four four two with wide players who will who will get forward and have have skill on the ball, but get back and defend and make sure that they're compact and tight. Mm. Um, one of the reasons that the the fans were getting frustrated with them earlier on in the season was that they drew a lot of games nil all or, or one nil all. There was very little um, excitement in, in the games. He's not a guy who's, you know, there's a lot of talk about Bielsa at the minute and somebody like that. Like he's not a guy who who cares too much about the the attractiveness of the game. But he's mm. he's a very um, intense personality as well. Puts a lot of pressure maybe on, on his players. Doesn't care too much about what he says to the media. Wouldn't be one to to cultivate his image too much. But I think, assuming there's no disaster over the last couple of games of the season, I'd imagine he'll he'll keep his his position at the club. Valencia have they've evolved a little bit since the you know a lot, everybody would remember the Gary Neville kind of fiasco when he was put in there and he didn't seem to know really what he was doing and the people above him didn't really seem to know what he was doing when the people came in from Singapore to run the club. They put a, a few Spanish people into into different roles there and the, the guy Murthy who's who's come over as Peter Lim's right hand man, he's put a lot of effort into to trying to, to PR job I guess to, to make himself more popular with, with the fans. But it, it it has worked to an extent and they do seem to, to know more about what they're doing. So I'd imagine that Marcino will stay um mm. But, but we'll, we'll have to see. What about the what about the danger, man? Because when you look through the side and you talk about lack of goals and lack of excitement being a bit of an issue, they don't really have uh, what you would call a, a, a prolific goal scorer in the team. I think is it Rodrigo is the highest goal scorer with eleven. You've got a couple of players in around ten, eight, ten goals. Uh, Guedes, uh, Santimina, uh, Gamero as well, of course. Um, but I mean, are they the key threats uh, to Arsenal? Yeah, uh, I'd imagine. Um, haven't seen the the fitness kind of updates this week, but I, I'd imagine that it'll be Rodrigo and, and Gamero up front. And both of those are, as you say, they're guys who get you maybe ten, fifteen goals a season without being um, spectacular. They, they work hard. They know that their place in the system. I'd say that Guedes is is going to be the biggest threat. He's a guy who you know, went to to PSG very young and didn't come through there. You know, they they signed. Neymar then they signed Mbappe it was going to be difficult for him to, to get through but he, he's an excellent player um, he's, he's really fast he's really sharp he's, he's had a as I was saying there he had a difficult first six months of the season and um, is a, a guy maybe who knows his own he knows his own worth and his own quality and maybe wasn't working as hard as, as, as he should have done um, but he's, he's fantastic time he scored a couple of, of two long range goals against Betis fairly recently he looks back to, to his best and, and he'd be somebody who um, you know, Arsenal would really have to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, in terms of goals scored in the league, they've only scored 40, and they've conceded 32, which is, I suppose, uh, comparatively a, a lot, um, even though some of the teams above them have, have conceded more. I mean, I suppose Barcelona have conceded 32 as well. The key difference, of course, is the 86 uh, that Barcelona have scored. What, what about defensively... Um, 
with Valencia. Obviously, there's a, a couple of former Arsenal players in the squad who I might ask you about in, in, in a moment. But defensively, you know, how solid are they? Where can Arsenal look to expose them um, with some of the players that, that we have? You know, when you think of Aubameyang, Lacazette, Mesut um, Ozil even, perhaps. Um, where, where are the chinks in the Valencia armour? Yeah, they they are pretty solid. I'd say individually, each of the the defenders wouldn't be. I don't think anybody's going to be coming in for um, for any of the top top Champions League clubs are going to be coming in for, for their defenders this season. They, they do. They're very compact as a unit. The the two midfielders are probably going to sit um, close to the to the two centre backs. Fullbacks won't get forward too much. They've had an issue this season at, at right back. Um, Was is probably going to play there. He's a Danish guy who's a, a midfielder by by trade. Really, he's fitted in there. Maybe similarly enough to, to Sergio Roberto at Barcelona. He's a you know he's he's a neat, tidy midfielder who's athletic and gets up and down the pitch. But defensively, you, you might be able to get in behind him if Arsenal push forward on that side. The goalkeeper Neto is really good. He's been one of the maybe he doesn't get talked about quite that much, but um, he's been on the fringes of the Brazil squad. You know, the Brazil have a couple of good goalkeepers who, who play mm. in England, but he's he's right up there. Uh, you know, maybe not so much with his feet, but he's he's a very good shot shot stopper. Um, the centre of the defence maybe wouldn't be the paciest. You know, you guys would know would know Gabriel pretty well. Yeah. Um, and maybe the whether you can get to him. You know, he's he's had a couple of high profile incidents where he's he's lost the head maybe a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, Arsenal will will know him really well. But I, I'd say that it'd be more a case of, of overwhelming. You ha- you have to kind of overwhelm them through pressure and they're not a team who it's going to be easy to to, to just cut open to, to too easily for Arsenal I think mm. and what about those you know two Arsenal players Gabriel we, we saw a few incidents over the years particularly with, with Diego Costa where you know he was easily rattled I'm not sure Arsenal really have the players in this squad to to do to Gabriel what Diego Costa did for example we don't we're we're a bit too nice for that but in general how has he got on because there's a lot of wistfulness about central defenders at Arsenal and this season when we've seen Shkodran Mustafi for example make a number of high profile errors and just generally be quite poor people have wondered should we have kept Gabriel uh, even though during his time uh, at the club he too was uh, a little bit error prone but perhaps not as spectacularly as Mustafi yeah, it's something that that has puzzled me a little bit. Looking from the outside, the how what happens to centre backs when they go to Arsenal? Maybe uh, assumed before it was because maybe under Wenger the the coaching wasn't quite up to the the standard or the, the structure of the team wasn't quite up to the standard. But you'd imagine with Emery he would he would have people better organised. Gabriel's been been very good in, in La Liga, really week to week um, guy who uh, wouldn't have made. I think in Spain he has he didn't make the same mistakes uh, uh, as in England. The same with Mustafi when he was at, at Valencia, he did he did pretty well. And Gabriel Marcino knows Gabriel well from from working with him before at Villarreal. I'm I'm pretty sure, and they did have a, a strong enough relationship. Hey, Coquelin has done done pretty well. I think I well I, I was surprised anyway when Valencia went for him um, and was wondering wh- how well he he'd fit in. But he's. He's done pretty well. He's been understated. He's worked hard. He, he moves the ball. Maybe simply gets stuck in. Um, not he wouldn't really have been first choice. Like Condogbia would would have would be the first choice alongside Pereco in midfield. And Condogbia is very good player, but he's he's injured at, at the moment. And, and Coughlin has stepped in for him. He's played in defence for for Valencia. He's played wide in in midfield as well. He's played all over the place, and he's been a really 
without being a spectacular player, he's been an excellent signing for him. Yeah, I mean, he has um, come back off a, a fairly serious knee injury as well, hasn't he? Because last year when he when he went there, he, he, he was it his cruciate, I think? Um, a, could have been. Could or have been, Achilles I, I, sure or something like that. A, one of them anyway, but he had a, a fairly serious injury. So he seems to have he seems to have come back to a reasonable level. I mean, he's made, I don't know how many appearances in the squad or in the team this season, nearly 40 games he's been in the squad. So um, he, he does seem to have found a, a nice little niche for himself there. Yeah, there's, there's a sense that um, he, he's happy there again. I, you know, from, from Madrid, I, I'm watching from here, so I, I wouldn't have any personal knowledge of, of how he's getting on. But the, the sense that I get from watching him play and, and from just around it is that he needed to go to somewhere like, like Valencia, where he, he felt maybe a little bit more important, where he got more of a, a run of games and where he was able to, to fit into something. When the team haven't been going well, um, it, it was harder. But, but you know, you, you get a feeling that he's he's well he's well liked at, at Valencia and he's a, he's a valuable member of the squad, as I said. All right. Um, Valencia, of course, is one of Unai Emery's former teams. Uh, how is he regarded there? It's a it's a funny one. It definitely depends on, on who you talk to because <laughs> he, you know he. I thought he did a brilliant job when he, he was at Valencia from 2008 to, to 2012. The, the last three seasons, he finished fourth in, in La Liga at a time when you know Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico have been the top three for for a long time now. Um, but he and at the same time, you know, David Villa was being sold. David Silva was being sold being sold behind the behind the scenes the club was a complete mess but he had them as easily the best of the the other teams in La Liga but even still he was never that popular with the the fans around there Valencia do expect a lot or the, the, the supporters and the people at the clubs expect a lot and he he's a, you know you know yourselves he's a prickly character maybe you know sometimes you don't understand um why some of his team selections tactical selections people were were a bit baffled by but in general, he did a he did a really good job there and, and left the club in a much better position than than when he was there. He was back um, in the Europa League semis, uh, kind of coincidentally enough, when he with Sevilla in 2014. Sevilla scored a last minute winner at Mestalla in the second leg or an injury time winner. Valencia thought they were on the way to the final, and then Embiid, um, the midfielder, popped up with a, a late goal. Emery celebrated that a lot as. As you would if you know your team gets a last minute winner to go to the Europa League final, but I must say they they weren't in the mood to to see their <laughs> their previous coach jumping up and down on the sidelines. So you know people would have a lot of respect for him. I think looking at what happened after he left with all of the the mess they got into, mention Neville there er, earlier on, uh, they can they can see what a good job he did, and they probably you know they would have before Marcino came in, they would have taken him back for sure. But I, I wouldn't say he's really loved by by the hardcore of the Valencia fans. Yeah, um, I can sort of understand that. I'm curious as to, A, how the work he's doing at Arsenal is going or is being reported in Spain because obviously there's big interest in the Premier League and there are there are uh, a lot of football um newspapers uh, with which to fill uh, plenty of content. So there's always that interest, and there has been plenty of uh, Spanish interest in Arsenal down the years. So uh, I'm sort of curious about how what he's doing this season at Arsenal has gone down in Spain or how people are perceiving the work that he's doing. Yeah, I think that the impression that they're getting is that they think he's doing a pretty good job. Um, again, they, they would see Arsenal as... Um, 
you know, where Arsenal are at the minute, challenging for the top four, and um, but not being sure of, of making it as kind of the the natural position given the the level of the squad and, and given all of the the big job that had to be done when when Wenger left. I, I think they're they would say that he, he's done he's done a pretty good job. The Europa League is is maybe bigger in Spain as the same before as well, and that he's got you to the semi-finals ha- would be definitely seen as a point in his favour. He he's not somebody maybe because he wasn't. Um, such a, a big name as a player or wasn't really a, a big name as a player and because he's not somebody who cultivates the media that much he's not somebody who pops up all the time like right. Benitez will be in the papers much more even Karanka or somebody like that you know, you'd read more interviews with them whereas Emery um, well I can't remember him being on the radio shows very often for instance here in, in Madrid so there'd be respect for what he's doing again but it wouldn't be that many people who'd be you know mm. rooting for him completely the way that, that some others would Sure let me just ask you as well about what kind of uh, a communicator he is in Spanish compared to English and I think you know one of the things that I quite admire about Emery uh, is the fact that from the very start he has tried uh, you know, do his press conferences in English, his first uh, press conference at the club where his English was was really, really basic. You know, he, he, he fronted up and he did that. And it's a very difficult thing, as I'm sure you know, to, to speak a, a foreign language and to learn a foreign language as, as, as an adult. It's much more difficult, but it's sort of left Arsenal fans in a situation where, you know, his English has improved, but there's a lot of catchphrases, a lot of football-related buzzwords, which don't always connect together in a cohesive way, right? Which isn't to be critical of him. Yeah. You know, it's it's a year into his time in England. It is difficult to, to become fluent in another language, and I, I'm not being critical at all, but it does make it hard sometimes to to really get a sense of who he is and, and what he wants and what he's trying to say. In Spanish, is he is he more open? Is he he's obviously more fluent, but in terms of how he talks, is there an ability to get deeper into what his football philosophies are and what he really thinks? Yeah, I, what what I would remember um, from from being at his press conferences and especially from from listening to the Marcinho on, on the TV is that he is a guy who who talks in quite a lot of detail. He talks very fast um, in Spanish and in. He gestures a lot, and he really wants to get across um, ideas about football, the ta- tactical scheme that he's done, why he's made certain decisions. I think he's somebody who was who was open to discussing that type of stuff. Maybe it is it is more difficult for him in in England to do that, and I'd say especially with the players because he was a guy who who would have developed a, a lot of players, worked a lot with the players on the the structure of the team, on tactics, on where they needed to be in certain moments. Um, another. You know, big memory you'd have of from seeing him at games here is how how animated he was on the sideline. How yeah. he was always organising his team, pointing people to go in this direction, talking to them when when the ball went out of play. You know, a, a guy who maybe similar to, to Benitez in a way who wanted to to control everything that that went on on the pitch and really um, thought that he needed to do that in order for his team to win. Not somebody who you know maybe like Zidane would just sit back and, and have confidence in them to to go out and, and express themselves. Um, I can imagine that being more difficult day to day with with the players in England um, in in his second language, or you know he's been in he's been in Russia, he's been in France, he, mm. he's he's experienced of it. He, he he's a clever guy as well. He would have learned how to do it, I guess. But it, it's not ideal for him not to be able to to communicate directly with people. What about the just finally? What about the the 
tactical battle then between himself and Marcelino? Because if you're talking about Valencia being uh, similar to Atletico Madrid, somebody, you know, a team that's going to sit and defend and stay organised, the onus then is on Emery and Arsenal to really try and and break them down. Um, it, it feels to me anyway like Emery is a manager, certainly what, we, what we've seen this season at Arsenal, is he's a manager who is much more effective in big games against higher quality opposition, right, than, than we are against the likes of Leicester and Wolves and Crystal Palace, to whom we've lost in the last week. Whereas when we play United or Tottenham or Chelsea uh, and Liverpool to an extent, uh, Manchester City not so much, you know, he's, he seems to be able to fashion his team in a much more effective way. So, so that aspect of what's going on on Thursday and then the, the second leg obviously will be, will be very interesting. Yeah, for sure. I, I'd imagine both coaches have, have um, thought a lot about it. Uh, I haven't looked back at their, their head-to-head record. They would have, they would have met uh, in the past for sure um, when, when both were at different clubs in, in Spain. And they would, like, they've both been Sevilla coach, they've both been Valencia coach. There's a lot of similarities between them um, and even in personalities. I'd imagine the way they are as well, there might be a little bit of personal rivalry between them two wanting to get one over on on somebody who they'd see as as one of their peers. You know, they're in that level of, of Spanish coaches that are maybe not quite at the most high profile, but guys who, you know, could be the future Spain manager, for instance. Mm. Um, and, you know, to win this game would be would be a big feather for, for either of them. I'd imagine it'll be tight. I'd imagine they both have um they both have game plans. They both have specific ideas of how to, to protect themselves and how to best damage the, their opponents. So maybe the first leg should be, we should expect it to be to be tight, to be one of those you know tactical uh, battles. Maybe Emery is more likely to, from my experience of Manuel, to have come up with a surprise plan, maybe to, to play a player out of position or to, to look to target a certain part of the, the Valencia team, whereas Valencia are more likely to stick to what they know to... Um, to accumulate pressure and to try and grind down Arsenal. So from from that point of view, it could be interesting to watch out for. Which, for um, you know, those of us who who are into that type of thing, to see you know with how how both coaches try to to outthink the other one. But uh, you know, five four or something like that, exciting <laughs> flood football. We probably shouldn't expect. No, I don't think we will. And you're right. There's usually something in the uh, in the Emery team selection which is a bit of a surprise. I'm not sure in terms of the squad that we have at the moment, uh, how many surprises he could pick for Thursday. But we'll we'll wait and see. But Dermot, listen, thanks a million for your time. Fascinating to talk to you. And uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Cool, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Andrew. Talk to you again. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you very much indeed to Dermot. You can find him on Twitter at Dermot M. Corrigan. That is at Dermot M. Corrigan. And of course, you've got two legs uh, against Valencia coming up home on Thursday. And then we're away in Valencia next week. So let's hope that Arsenal uh, can do the business. And let's hope that Unai Emery, the Europa League specialist manager, can also do the business. Because it looks like that is potentially our best way back into uh, the Champions League. But more importantly, our only chance of of a trophy this season. So, uh, fingers crossed. Uh, I'll just point you in the direction one more time before we go of our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. We have a good new podcast up there in which we pick our Premier League most hated 11. And just to give you a little flavor of that, this is us discussing the left-back situation. I, I didn't mm. particularly have anything against Julian Dix, so explain why you, why you hate him quite so much. Men yeah. of his shape, and I apologize to anybody out there, you know, uh, who are defenders are always bastards on the pitch anyway. Maybe he's a lovely guy. Maybe, you know, anyone listening to this who might share the same physique as Julian Dix, lovely guy off the pitch. But on the pitch, I guarantee you, you're a bad man. So that that was it. He was just, he just had one of those, one of those physiques, one of those faces, played mm. for West Ham, played for for Liverpool, so mm. yeah, that's we, uh, we we call Stoke the Orcs, but he really did look like a kind of orc from Lord of the Rings or something like that, didn't he? I mean, he was a really uh, he was an unpleasant looking guy. I mean, that seems like a surface thing, but his his conduct on the pitch was pretty unpleasant too. Now you bring it up, uh, he could take a mean penalty though. Yeah, I, I mean, he had a, gave him. I enjoyed the penalties. He had a left foot, you know, and he he sort of had a head like a testicle, you know, with ears yeah. on the side of it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, it's like someone has drawn a face on a ball bag. Uh, who did you who did you go for at left back, Andrew? Well, it's funny. There was a sort of theme. I didn't really want to pick Ashley Cole, even though I felt like he was probably the most kind of prime candidate for it. I just I've got a thing against Wayne Bridge ever since that goal he scored against us. And even though he doesn't strike me as being an absolutely terrible person, that really sort of stuck in my head and then I also thought well if John Terry's going to be in the team why not play Wayne Bridge because the two of them will hate each other you're so ruthless Andrew a minute ago you were using that against John Terry saying poor Wayne Bridge he slept with his teammates girlfriend <laughs> now Wayne Bridge is in the team well you know brutal I mean that's yeah. absolutely brutal I like it okay <laughs> I'll, I'll stick with Wayne Bridge then Ashley Cole gets off to get instant access to that podcast and every other podcast that we've made on Patreon over the last 12 or 14 months, all the articles, everything that's there, you get access to it instantly. What the fuck? I don't know what that is outside, but it sounded like a, like a ship, which doesn't make much sense considering I do not live right by the sea. I mean, Dublin is on the sea, but anyway, look, uh, oh, it's, it's builders doing angle grinding stuff or whatever it is. Anyway, as I said, here's what you get if you join up as an Arsebog member on Patreon. All the Patreon content, you get access to our Patreon Discord chat server. You also get the Arsecast and Arsecast Extra ad-free. You get a free download of the Arsebog audiobook together, the story of Arsenal's unbeaten season. Uh, what else is there? There's loads of other stuff in there. All it costs is a fiver a month. You do pay VAT if you're in the e 
EU. If you're not in the EU, you do not pay VAT. So it's just a fiver a month, five euros a month. So if that sounds good, just go to patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Patreon.com forward slash arsblog and you can sign up there. Uh, Right. We leave it here for this uh, this special bonus podcast edition because the noises outside are getting weirder and stranger and closer. Maybe it is some kind of alien invasion where the aliens are are power tools. That would not be a good way for us to go out. We've got the Europa League to win first. At least let us do that before the end of civilization. Come on. Okay, right. Uh, we will have an Arsecast on Friday, looking back at the Valencia game, previewing our final home game of the season against Brighton. Our final home game. I mean, what the fuck? Where has the year gone or the season gone? It's just flown by. It really has. So we'll do all that on the Arsecast on Friday. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.